Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. I'm going to talk today about faith as a choice. And we're going to look at an example of, of a family who made that choice. Father God, would you open the word? We, you, you wrote this word so we'd understand it. You wrote this word so it would live. Jesus, you now are our rabbi. Would you disciple your people? Would you teach us and model? We're listening to you. We've come and we're watching you as you interact and as you teach and as you lead, because we want to follow you in every way. We open our hearts to you. Give us faith. Open our ears and eyes. Reveal to us. And I pray for grace, Lord, to let you speak and get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. I'll start at verse 43, and I'm going to go down to uh, verse, well, I'll read to verse 54. After two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. I'm just stopping. You remember where we are? We've been coming out of Judea. We're going, we've gone north through Samaria, directly through Samaria, which is in the middle. Going right straight through the middle of, of Israel. And now he's coming out into the northern region called the Galilee. So he's coming a place where, this is where he grew up. He grew up in the Galilee. He grew up in Nazareth. And so he's coming back there. But he's probably been eight or nine months, is my estimation, that he's been ministering in Judea, southern Israel, around Jerusalem. Remember this. Uh, John uh, has been telling us the first year of Jesus' ministry, which the other Gospels don't record. The other Gospels pick up the narrative right here at verse 43. As Jesus returns now to the Galilee, this is where Matthew, Mark, and Luke pick up the story. They didn't tell you this first year. John does. He fills it in, so it really gives perspective to all the things we're reading. And so here we're picking up now. After two days, he went forth from there into, into the Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Uh, I'll, I'll explain in a minute what that means. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. That would be the feast of the Passover. Remember that? He drove the sellers out of the, out of the temple and all the, that, that. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made wa the water wine, and there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you, and mine has uh, put people in there, but unless you all, it's plural, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the royal official said to him, sir, Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. 
So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. And then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, that would be one o'clock in the afternoon. At the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. Would you say and his whole household? Whole household? You notice that? The, and he himself believed and his whole household. And then John adds, this is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. What was the first sign? Turning water into wine. Yes, he has not been ministering in the Galilee. He left Galilee, went down to Jerusalem, and has been in Judea. Now he returns and does a second sign. If I put the story together, and this is, this is me just looking for pieces and bits and clues. I believe that he comes back with his, he's got six disciples, comes through Samaria, and he goes, first of all, to Capernaum. I think he ministered there and then apparently dismissed his disciples, let them go home. Remember, they've been gone from their families for a year. They have families. Peter, they're married. I mean, there's children. There's, you think, how is this even working? So, and that's why you find him recalling them. He comes by the lake and they're out fishing. Remember this? Now, he will, this, is, this is yet to happen. Uh, where he recalls these disciples. And then he'll, he'll, he'll name 12 a little later on. But at this point, it seems to me he lets them go home. And he appears he may go home. Because he goes back to Nazareth. And John does not record what happened in Nazareth. Uh, but Matthew and Luke do. And, and Luke's account tells us something really ugly. He goes home. He goes to his own, own hometown that he grew up in. And preaches in the synagogue, as was his custom. Everybody knows him. This is familiar. Uh, here, here, is, here is Yeshua, and he's going to, going to minister. He then confronts them prophetically on their unbelief. Uh, you remember the sermon? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Quotes from Isaiah 61 uh, to preach good news to the captives, all of this. He preaches that wonderful announcement. He says, this day it's fulfilled in your hearing. I'm him. I'm him. I'm here. What did they do? They took him out. And tried to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. His own hometown. The other gospels mention the mess. But John doesn't. John just says. For he testified that a prophet has no honor. And that the word doesn't mean his own country. It clearly means his own hometown. He has no. So why didn't Jesus go and center his ministry. As it were in his hometown of Nazareth. John doesn't mention it. But just says because he had no honor. Luke tells us they tried to kill him. On the way between Nazareth and Capernaum lies Cana, about five miles, six miles away. You go right through it. You still do today. We will when we go to Israel in April. You'll go right through Cana on the way to Nazareth and way back. Here's what, that's what happened now. When he goes to Cana, he encounters this man. Faith is a choice. Not a feeling. Would you say that with me? Let's do it again, good and loud. Faith is a choice, not a feeling. It's not the ability to talk myself into believing something has already happened. Tried that? It's choosing to believe something will happen because God said it would. There are certain people with very energetic personalities for whom faith seems to come easily. But I don't think a person needs such a personality to please God. Because faith is a choice, not a feeling. It's a decision, 
not an emotion. Which means it's possible for anyone to have faith. Are you following this? Yeah. We need only to listen to him and then do what we would do if he said what if if what he said were true. Some of us are, are come on, let's face it. Some of us are Eeyores, and I would include myself in that group. I happen to be married to Pollyanna. If there is a silver lining to the cloud, my wife will find it. It's really it's almost annoying. Now, she's clear overweight. She can't hear me. And don't you dare tell her I said that. It is amazing. I am trying to explain how bad things are, and the woman just doesn't get it. She keeps saying, yes, but look at this. And I'm going, no, don't look at the positives. I'm I'm laughing. I'm saying it jokingly, but it's really pretty true. Anyone else in the ore? You know, you can see the bad side of things, yeah. I think I come by it genetically. It runs in the whole family. I can see what's wrong. And, and, and I have discovered over the years a very profound truth, and, and we're, we're seeing it in this story. That is that Jesus does not demand that I get my emotions all lined up. I don't have to become buoyant. Thank heavens, I would perish. But he watches, listen, where my feet go. He watches the choice I make. And I can choose to have faith. So can you. So do not look at your personality. Do not look and say, well, I know people who are full of faith. So do I. And bless their hearts. They're wonderful. But you don't have to be a different personality to please God. That that sounds simple. And it is. But being simple doesn't make it easy. Choosing to believe can be much harder than it sounds because his voice isn't the only one we hear. There are other voices that press us to do what they tell us to do and to add to the confusion in such moments the emotions inside us swirl like a storm. What God says may actually produce painful emotions and in the middle of the storm we look for choices that will relieve that pain. God's way is often the hard one. It's the one you didn't want to do. Yeah. So you, I, when, I, when I say it's just a choice, it's simple. Yes, it is. And it's the one you didn't want to do. And, and it's the one that was hard. And it's the one that brought all sorts of emotion and, and, and issues with it. You're going to have to walk through the hard thing. You notice he doesn't let us duck things. Yeah, he makes us go back and work through them. So when I say it's simple, it is. Easy. Now, nah, that's another matter altogether. The danger is that that relief can be found in some situations by choosing to believe that God won't do what he said he would do. It is at times easier to become cynical. It's easier to resign ourselves to the inevitable and just write it out. Oh, why keep trying? Why keep believing? Why keep trusting him? It would be easier to just get cynical and withdrawn and let it happen. You see what I mean? Yeah, this, this walking in obedience is, uh, in faith is, is, is simple, but it's not easy. Even though our will chooses to believe that God will do what he said he would do, our emotions still seem to believe he won't. John records an event in which a family in crisis was faced with the kind, this kind of decision. A desperate father had, worked, pardon me, had walked over 20 miles to Cana, to beg Jesus to return with him to pray for his dying son. 
But Jesus refused to go. Instead, he forced the man into a corner in which his only option was to believe what Jesus said had come true or believe that it hadn't. At the time, the Lord's response seemed cruel, but it wasn't. He wanted to give this man more, listen, than a miracle. He wanted to deepen and enlarge his faith until he had a faith that would save him and his whole family. So he made him participate in the miracle. Does Jesus still do that? Outside of Nazareth, the people who lived in Galilee received Jesus warmly. I mentioned what happened when he went to to Nazareth. But everywhere else, he was received warmly. Many had been in Jerusalem during Passover and watched him drive the animals out of the temple courtyard and turn over the tables of the money changers. Many had observed the miraculous signs he did during those days. So undoubtedly, when they returned home, they told family and friends about him. This meant Jesus' reputation preceded him and created widespread anticipation everywhere he went. People were eager to hear him preach and hoped to watch him perform miracles. The town of Cana was only a few miles from Nazareth, and the road to Capernaum passed right through it. It appears Jesus stopped there to minister for a few days. It was the place where about a year earlier he had turned water into wine. And undoubtedly, the memory of that miracle had not been forgotten. John says there was a certain royal official whose son was sick in Capernaum. And when the man heard that Jesus had returned to the Galilee region, he went, went to him and asked that he would come down and cure his son, for he was about to die. After listening to this worried father's request, we would have expected the Lord to say something encouraging to him. After all, his son was dying. So surely the Lord's compassion would move him to assure the man that he would heal his son. But that's not what happened. Instead, Jesus confronted him about his faith, telling him that he, along with everyone else coming for help, had no real faith at all. They only believed that a miracle was possible after they saw it happen, which is actually not faith at all, only honest acknowledgement of a fact. As we listen to the dialogue between Jesus and the Father, it's obvious that the type of faith being discussed was whether or not the Lord could perform a miracle. Apparently, the man did not yet have any understanding about Jesus as the Savior. That level of faith would soon come. Here comes a father. He says, Lord, my, and he actually uses the word, my little son, my little son is dying. My little, my, my little boy is dying. And he says, come down and pray for him. And what is, you, wouldn't you expect Jesus to go, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, that's, that's terrible to hear. Um, you know, what, what's the situation? Uh, uh, let's, let's arrange. You, you'd think he would become compassionate. You would expect him to be nice. And there's times when he's not nice. And instead of being nice to this man, he looks, he looks at the guy and he says, you, and he used the plural, I mean you and everybody else. He says, you all, you'd never believe anything until you see it. You have no faith. I mean, this is like, like, come on. The guy's got a child is dying. Be nice to him. The worried father did not defend himself. What Jesus said was true. He wouldn't really believe until he saw it. He'd come to Cana more out of desperation than faith. He'd heard reports about the miraculous, uh, pardon me, the miracles Jesus did in Jerusalem, and rumors may have reached him about 
what had been happening in Judea for the past eight or nine months. And since his son was dying, what did he have to lose? This miracle worker might be able to help when every other remedy had failed. A severe Jesus. But here, as we watch the encounter between these two men, we learn a great lesson about Jesus. He's not always nice. Would you say that with me? He is not How many have had times when he's not nice? To you, yeah. And this is not the only example in the Gospels of the Lord responding this way. Instead of encouragement, there are times when he confronted the unbelief in the heart of the one asking for help. A Syrophoenician mother, pleading for her daughter's deliverance, received the same treatment. As did the father of a terribly tormented boy. Each encountered a rebuff, not pity. But as a result, each received the gift they sought. Do you recall the stories? The Syrophoenician woman. Jesus has gone up to uh, Lebanon, what's today Lebanon, and he's getting out of Israel trying to get away from the crowds. He wants to spend time with his disciples and rest. I mean, these guys are going just constantly, masses of people. It's exhausting. And, and so he's, he's up there to, to get away and to be in a place where he's not known. Well, she spots him. She knows who he is. And she begins to, to pursue him and say, Lord, heal my daughter. She's terribly demon-possessed. And he, he, he ignores her. Not nice. He ignores her. And then, and then, and then, and then finally she, she presses harder. And he says to her, look... He says, it's not right to give to the dogs uh, the children's bread. Now, I know you've heard sermons where that's not an insult. Yeah, read it again. <laughs> read it again. I don't know how you want to parse that, puppy. It is... <laughs> Ding. It is an insult. Now, it, it may not be as harsh as our ear would hear, uh, but the problem was... Often, I think the Jews would talk about others as dogs and that kind of thing. So he's, he's just bringing up a, 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 an ethnic divide, putting it right in her face. That's not nice. What is he doing? That's not nice. And then what did she say? She says, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs under the table eat the crumbs that fall from the children's bread. What does he say? Oh, woman, you win. You so win. You so win. He's delighted with her. He says, I haven't seen faith like this. I want you to see something. He's reaching into people's hearts and pulling faith out of them. He literally put in front of her an obstacle to make her push through it. He's not, he, yes, he'll, of course he's going to help the daughter. But he wants the mother. He, want, he wants the mother to grow in her faith. He's pushing her. He's sort of, sorry. so is there a division here? And she says, no, sir. I know who you are. And he says, you got it, lady. You got it. He does this. He still does this. The, 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 the man with the uh, terribly tormented boy, we often call him an epileptic boy. We don't know his epilepsy at all. But the, the description there is demonic torment. And, it, and, and he's been up on Mount Hermon. And uh, he has been transfigured, literally. He's begun to radiate light like, 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 he, like he is now. <laughs> he, he begins to tr literally translate up into his, his eternal condition. 
without death. He's, he's, he's sinless, and it's simply happening to him on this mountain. And then he chooses, uh, remember who shows up? Elijah, representing the prophets, and Moses, representing the law of God. And they counsel him, no, you must die. And you must pay for the sins of the world. He's there. This is what the discussion is. And then he, then the, that glory parts, and he says, come on, let's go. And Peter, James, and John come down the mountain. And when they get to the bottom, there's this chaos going on, this big commotion. And this father has brought this very, very uh, damaged boy, and he, his, he, he stiffens out, he grinds his teeth, which, you know, sounds like, a, like these terrible seizures. It will cause him to fall on the fire and in the water. It's, in other words, at the most awful moments, this thing will hit, very, very demonic that way, and he's mute. And the father says, I brought this, my boy, to your disciples, but they couldn't help him. And then he says to Jesus, he says, if you can help, please do. Now, Jesus isn't nice. And he looks at him and he says, if I can, if I can, he says, all things are possible to him who can believe. This is your problem, sweetest. <laughs> This is you. Can you believe? Because I can. And the father, with a heartfelt cry that comes out of the man, he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. What a, in other words, I choose. I get it. I choose to believe in you. But please understand, Master. I'm full of fear. I'm full of weariness. You have no idea how much I've watched and prayed and longed over my boy. And it's been years since he was a little boy. He's gone through this agony. And I've been living with it day by day. My emotions are just a storm inside of me. If, you, if, I, have to be, if I have to be positive, no, I haven't got it. But I will choose to believe. You hear this? Isn't this, a, isn't this wonderful, really? The Lord does not ask us to be silly or somehow produce something uh, artificial. He asks us to choose. We can do that. The obvious question these passages raise is why was Jesus severe with someone in such pain? Why wasn't he nice? In each case, instead of rushing to help, he exposed their doubt and pressed them to push through it. He clearly wanted them to make a deliberate effort to believe more. He reminded the Syrophoenician woman of the cultural barrier that stood between them and made her push aside an insult to pursue him. He told the father of the tormented boy, all things are possible to him who believes, leaving him to cry out, I do believe, help my unbelief. He drew all these parents into the miracle they sought, demanding that they become part of the process, that they move from being a spectator to a participant. He wanted them to believe with him, not stand back and watch him. You follow that? Yes. It, it would be so, we want him to say, here, Jesus, do it. Go. You're on. Fix it. And we want to stand back on the sidelines and kind of watch. He won't do that with us. He says, no, no, you're joining, them. You're joining this. You're coming in with me now. You're going to believe too. You're going to believe with me. I, uh, I've told this story. You know it. But it's, uh, I just relay it for those who don't. But what I, haven't, what I really need to tell you is what happened inside of me. 
Uh, this was a number of years ago. We had well, our, 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 one of our worship leaders uh, had not been able to conceive a child for at least eight years, if I recall. They had gone through all the medical processes, everything else. They'd, they'd sought to have a child and had not been able to. And I, I think the doctors were saying, that, you know, and it won't happen. And one day, I think I'm standing here. I must have been leading worship at the time. And she was over here on the keyboard playing. And in the worship, a, a woman came up. And I didn't recognize her. And she came up and she said, I have a word. So I stepped down and I put the mic in front of her. She looked up at this, this gal and she began to prophesy. And she says, thus says the Lord in effect. You have not been able to have a child, but the Lord says that you will have a child within the year. And then I don't remember all the else she said. Because I'm sitting there thinking to myself, what is wrong with me? Why do I put microphones in front of people I don't know? When am I going to learn? I'm get, it's getting too late. My sister back here at the keyboard is thinking, smile, don't let it show. She is, this is just like rip her open. This has been her pain. She's been prayed over, uh, you know, how many times, uh, you know. And prophesy and everything else. All the pain is there. And so now she's got to have this in front of everybody. And she's, and she's just miserable. And she simply says, smile. I've got to just smile and keep at it. And as I'm holding the microphone, I think, what am I going to do? Am I going to discipline this situation? Am I gonna, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do? And then the Lord spoke to me. And he said, don't fight her faith. Agree with her. <laughs> All right, I said, w would you pray? And she began to pray. I said, come on, church, let's pray. And I, every, the, as a pastor of the situation, I wanted to fix it. The Lord told me, don't fight her. Do you notice something? I have to be in the game. It's, it's, there's something about this disagreement. It is not okay for me to stand there, even passively. I don't even like what's happening at the moment. I'm, I'm, a, I'm concerned for my, 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 my sister. I'm concerned for the situation. Uh, I mean, I'm all for prophecies, but this, this one has all the, the potential to be a, one of those oops. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh boy. And, and yet the Lord's word is, not only don't fight her, join her. Uh, so go ahead and pray. And I'm sitting there, and I'm everything in me, I'm agreeing with her as best I can. Lord, I agree. I agree. I agree. I align with her. Within the year, she had birthed a baby girl. And the next couple of years, they had another little boy, and then everything else healthy, and they're still doing. It was a real prophecy. It was really the word of the Lord. But I wanted to. You see what? Do you notice what I couldn't do? I couldn't stand back. I couldn't be cynical. I couldn't. I couldn't. If I could mess it up, 
Jesus, with these parents, with these situations, he's saying, no, no, you're not going to stand back and watch me. You're going to believe with me. We must be part of the process. So he refused to do what they asked, at least initially, and made them choose to believe more. And that's what we're watching in Cana. No, he would not go down to Capernaum and lay hands on the boy. But he would declare him well. And 20 miles away, a little boy on his deathbed was healed instantly. He didn't give this father the option of believing after he saw the miracle. He dared him to believe before he saw it. He dared him to believe that the miracle he announced was done. He says, your son lives. That's the way he says it. And the man did. John says he believed the word which Jesus spoke to him. And then it says, and he left. In other words, started walking back to Capernaum. He believed, he, he believed and did the first step. He began to walk out his faith and head home. Not, no longer begging Jesus to come. Making the choice. The Lord won't allow us to stand on the sidelines and watch with our arms crossed. He pulls us into the game. He won't let us remain passive and safe. He still forces people to choose. The Syrophoenician woman had to brush aside an insult and humbly insist that he help her daughter. The father of the tormented boy had to cry out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Even though he was making the choice to believe, he still had to readily confess that he was full of fear and weariness from the years of helplessly watching his son's misery. But the choice to believe was all Jesus required of him. He didn't insist that he or the others... First, conquer their emotions and exude confident mental energy. He simply asked them to choose, and they did, and that was enough. Now, I'd like you to go with me uh, for a moment to Matthew chapter 8. I want to compare this, because there's a remarkable comparison here. We're watching a royal official, which is remarkable, by the way. This man is, is a very high Officer in Herod Antipas's government. Herod Antipas is a hideous man. This is the guy that cuts off uh, John the Baptist's head. This is the guy that will supply a robe, his royal robe, to put on the beaten body of Jesus so that he and his soldiers can mock him. This guy works for that clown. That's a picture of that, huh? This guy is his financial officer, I think. And here he's coming with his, with his child, his little boy, dying with a horrible fever. So I want to show you somebody else from the same town. Uh, start at verse 5, Matthew 8. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, what? I will come and heal him. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just told the other guy you won't come. But when it comes to the centurion, he says, hey, I'm coming to your house. Isn't that interesting? What a difference. I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he comes, and to, goes, pardon me, and to another, come, and he comes, and to this, to my slave, do this, and he does it. 
Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. This is a a Roman soldier. I say to you that many will come from east and west. He's talking about Gentiles. And recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. But the sons of the kingdom, many in Israel, will be cast out into the outer darkness. And in that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you believed. And the servant was healed, notice, at that very moment. To really understand what took place that day, we need to compare Jesus' response to this royal official with the way he reacted to another man from Capernaum. The difference is stunning. Did you see it? Jesus offered to come to the centurion's home, but refused to go to the royal official's home. The centurion actually stopped him from coming by saying, I'm not worthy, but just say the word. While the royal official begged him to come down before my little child dies. The difference in the two men is obvious. One came to Jesus full of faith. The other came full of fear. And notice, Jesus dealt with the two men very differently. He celebrated the humility and faith of one, but challenged the fear in the other in order to help his faith grow. He didn't assess the sorry condition of the royal official's faith and then abandon him. He made him stretch his faith until it grew bigger. He still does. He knows our hearts and deals with each of us according to our need. Make note of that, please. The the centurion came full of faith. Hallelujah. I'll come to your house. Sure, you don't need to. Great. Your son's well. This man comes. This is a last ditch effort. He's just come and see if you can do anything. Jesus doesn't go, you don't have any faith and move on, does he? He says, you don't have any faith. And he says, but you're gonna. He doesn't leave us there. He doesn't find us in our sorry condition and go, you won't work. No, not this Lord. He's a discipler. This guy lays hold of you and says, no, you're not staying there. Come on. Come on. Come on through this thing. You believe with me. He won't leave us small. He won't leave us in doubt. He pushes us to believe him more. It was about 20 miles, most of it downhill, from Cana to Capernaum, which made it about a 10-hour walk. The man didn't reach home that day. He probably spent the night along the trail and was still walking the next day when his servants met him. They, they were coming up to find him while he was coming down, and they brought with him them joyful news. The boy lives. Then he asked them the critical question. When? At what time did he start to get better? The answer would confirm or deny his faith. Had the boy recovered naturally because of his body finally overcoming the disease? Or was the power of the disease broken when Jesus spoke those words? The servant's answer was precise and definite. Yesterday... At the seventh hour, 1 p.m. in the afternoon, the fever left him. Now, notice he said, when did he start to get better? They said he didn't. He got instantly better at 1 o'clock. The fever got, went and disappeared. The fever it, it was gone. And, at, and that was the exact moment 
when Jesus had said, your son lives. When he heard their answer, his faith that Jesus could do a miracle turned into faith that Jesus was their savior. Notice something. This, he's getting transformed right here. Not only, we've gone from, do you believe he can do this miracle? And now, he says, when, when did it happen? They said at one o'clock. He said, that's when he said it. All of a sudden, the curtain goes back. And he begins to know who Jesus is. He begins to realize that he's his savior. When he arrived home, he didn't merely rejoice in his son's healing. He immediately began to proclaim his new faith in Jesus. He must have listened to Jesus in Cana while he was waiting for an opportunity to speak to him. And then on the way back to Capernaum, reflected on what he'd heard. Because now he had faith in something much greater. He knew Jesus was more than a miracle worker. He was the promised savior. And John says his whole household believed with him. I cannot prove what I'm going to share with you. But let me just say I'm not the only one who sees this. It goes clear back to the early church fathers. In Luke chapter 8 verses 1 through 3. Luke gives us a list of women. Who were disciples of the Lord and who even supported his ministry financially. Uh, they gave regularly to contribute uh, into, the, into this fund, which is supporting these disciples' families that are traveling with him. And one of the names is Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the financial officer of Herod, this Herod. Now, no one can say that's absolutely this man and his family. But I would, as I pointed out, Herod is a, a horrible man. How many of his top officers do you think became radical disciples of Jesus? I wouldn't suggest many. This is pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. There is a man named Manaean who grew up with Herod. But that's different. That's not an officer. It says of this Joanna... And Cusa, not only were they regularly financially supporting the ministry, she's one of the, one of the women who's actually, there's a group, you, you know there's women disciples, and they do travel, but they, there's a separation here, a very proper separation. This is Judaism, and very, everybody's very careful. But there are women who are also. And, and, and this, on the Sunday morning, when Jesus rose from the dead, a group of women went out to the grave early in the morning to put spices on his body. Mary Magdalene, you remember this? And Joanna. It appears to me that this family, when he says the whole household believed, that the faith is so deep that it, it, goes, it goes, I mean, jo, the wife, the son, the whole, the whole family now, are, have become, they become true disciples. I mean, they become true followers of Christ. It moves from miracle belief to saving faith to true devotion. They fell in love with him. They became the best. They're in the game. And if any of you are parents, and most of you are grandparents or whatever, 
When someone helps your child, you'll give them anything. I mean, you just see they get there. You got your heart. They got your heart. And when Jesus basically handed them their dead boy back, they said, we believe. Mary Magdalene's another one. She's right, Magdala's right there, just down the, down the coast a couple miles from Capernaum and Tiber, where they're all living. From her, seven demons. She's, she believes. She's, she goes from miracle faith to saving faith to devotion. Do you see this? Painful faith. For those Christians who have decided that God doesn't do miracles anymore, this kind of passage in the Bible doesn't present a problem. They simply view it as history. But for those who believe God still does such things, the subject of faith can become, can become very painful. Because there have been times when we choose to believe, but the miracle didn't appear like it did in this account. Which leaves us with terrible questions. What did we do wrong? Or what did someone else do wrong? Or usually the unspoken question, did God fail to do what he said he would do? Any one of us who have prayed for people and stepped out and believed in miracles have seen incredible miracles. We have seen wonderful things happen, yes? yes. And we have also buried people we fought for with all our hearts. And we have seen failures which have broken our hearts and left us confused, at times ashamed, frustrated. Amen? Amen. That happens to be the walk. And, and what happens in some cases, some of these, these things where we've, in our minds, there has been a failure, are so painful for us, we, we don't even want to approach the subject anymore. When anyone begins to say, come on, believe again, believe and trust him again, there's a side of us that says, no, it just hurts too much. I can't do that. How would I know that? And as we engage another passage where Jesus presses someone to believe more, though these old wounds can start to hurt again. Something inside wants to avoid the subject altogether. Yet Jesus won't let us. Without discovering, pardon me, without, without answering those old questions, he draw, dares us to choose again today to believe his word. Please notice, over and over again through the gospels, he, he's, he's not, in a sense, he's not nice about it. I don't know how you want to look at this. He's the one who keeps saying, believe. Believe. It's Jesus who does this. Come on, believe more. He pulls us out. So no matter how wounded I am, no matter how weary I am, I get in the word and he keeps saying, come on, you can believe. And he pulls me out of that pain and makes me today believe again. And what we learn from this encounter in Cana is that each of us can do it if we want to. It's a choice. This father's decision required an action, a first step. If he, if he really believed, what would he do? He would stop begging for help and start walking home. And that's what he did. And that's all the Lord required of him. That was what faith looked like for him. It will look different for each of us. 
But just like that father, our first step will be to believe enough to do what we would do if what he said to us were true. To do what we would do if what he said to us were true. Mary and I went over and, and um, picked a, 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 a gravestone for my mom's grave. And uh, we've got one with lovely flowers on it. She loved flowers. And, and the man who was helping us said, what scripture would you like to put on this? And I thought, what scripture would I like to put on this? What would be the right one? And of course, there's lots of scriptures you could think of. And I want to read to you what I, what's going to be put on my, my mom's grave. It's, it's John uh, chapter 6 and verses 39 and 40. I love this statement. I've got, I've got 40 memorized. I just don't have 39 yet. It says, this is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. I won't lose my mom. Won't lose me. Won't lose you. Isn't that good? I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father that everyone who beholds the son, that means see him with understanding, know who he is. It's what the man did on the road down when he, when he heard what hour the, his son was healed. He suddenly went from miracle worker to beholding, oh, he's the son of God. He's the savior. He's our Messiah. And believed in him, who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Between now and then, I have to live like I believe that's true. I have all sorts of evidence and that kind of thing, but I can't see that yet, neither can you. But, but I have to live like that's true. I choose to. I choose that. My daughter came and picked up uh, my wife. I knew I was working on all of this, and, and uh, so I couldn't drive her out to the airport. And uh, so my daughter came by, and, and you know, I'm... I'm, I'm praying for everybody and we're all packed up and they all had huge you know 50 pounds of medicines you know they're taken with them all that kind of stuff as well and so we, we load her up and in the car driving away and I'm thinking to myself what are we doing I just put my wife on a plane for Mandalay where's Mandalay this is nuts what are we doing and I thought to myself, she's living as if that's true. Everyone's path looks different. But my wife gets in a plane as well as a number of, of your family. And gets in a plane and flies over there. And is going into remote places with all kinds of who knows what. And, and is going to minister to them and tell them about Jesus Christ. Why? Because she believes that's true. And she's chosen to live that way. That's faith. Would you stand with me? This is the will of my Father. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him 
will have eternal life. And I myself, says Jesus, will raise her, him, up on the last day. Do you believe? Lord, this day we choose. This day we believe in you. We behold you, not just a miracle worker, not just a prophet, not just a great teacher. We behold you. You are the Savior. You are the Son of God who's come for us. You are the one who has taken our place and died on the cross and borne our sins. You are the resurrected one who's broken the grip of death. I may have put my mother's body in the grave, but I didn't put her in the grave. She's with you and you, she will be raised up. I will be with you and I will be raised up. All of us, Lord, every one of us confess this this day. We behold you, our Savior. We behold you, our resurrected one. We believe in you and you will raise us up on the last day. We choose to believe. We choose to believe and we put our foot on that path. We take our step of faith and begin to live our lives in light of that truth, in light of what we believe. Come, Lord, we would be, we would move from miracle faith to saving faith to true devotion. In Jesus' precious name, if that is your prayer, would you say, yes, Lord? Hear us, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.